Our text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to begin in chapter 8 because Paul begins uh, uh, to respond pastorally to an issue within the Corinthian church, and he starts in chapter 8. He seems to go in a couple different directions, and then he wraps it up at the end of chapter 10, and there's a lot there, obviously. So uh, I want to try to hold succinctly to an issue which uh, may seem completely uh, um, trivial to us in our cultural context, but I think it, it models something to us that's really vitally important, um, especially as we think about the events of this week. So beginning at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1, I'm, uh, I'm reading from the message because I think it just, we can just capture the, the, the argument better, um, get, get the feel for it, but you uh, are encouraged to look at it through, uh, on your own um, in your translation. Paul writes, The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. And then, this is sort of the summation of what Paul wants to, in terms of his, his pastoral guidance. He writes at the end of chapter 10, looking at it one way, you could say anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to, dis- to dissect or scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not just to get by, we want to live well but our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. With that as a base to work from, common sense can take you the rest of the way. Eat anything sold at the butcher shop, for instance. You don't have to run an idolatry test on every item. The earth, after all, is God's and everything in it. That everything certainly includes the leg of lamb in the butcher shop. If a non-believer invites you to dinner and you feel like going, go ahead and enjoy yourself. Eat everything placed before you. It would be both bad manners and bad spirituality to cross-examine your host on the ethical purity of every course that is served. On the other hand, if he goes out of his way to tell you that this or that was sacrificed to God or goddess so-and-so, you should pass. Even though you may be indifferent as to where it came from, he isn't. And you don't want to send mixed messages to him about who you are worshiping. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's say thanks be to God. To stand or to kneel. That is the question that got revived at the beginning of the football season. We kind of skipped over it over the summer, but as soon as the pregame, as soon as the preseason game started, our, not only did our sports programming and, uh, and, and, our, and the, the, the color guy leading up to the game, and even our president, everybody needed to weigh in on this question, to kneel or to stand. Most of us, I think, know that 
It was Colin Kaepernick, who, of, uh, formerly of the 49ers, who started this conversation, started this activity, and it's grown over the course of the last year. And the tension, of course, is one of conscience. What does your conscience require you to do? And in that way, this text and to stand or to kneel are very much the same. They put before us this very difficult either-or question. Either you kneel or you stand. If I kneel, what does that mean? Does it mean that I don't care about the flag and I don't care about the servicemen and women who have given their lives to defend it? Is that what that means? If I stand, does that mean I don't care about the issues of violence that men and women of color in our country face today? What, what do I do? What do I do? And it's that thinking, that either-or thinking, that Paul has to deal with. He says, the question has come up repeatedly. Should I eat meat that is sacrificed to idols or not? They're living in Corinth. Pretty much all the meat at the butcher shop was part of some ritual of sacrifice to some god or goddess. And so now these new Christians are really working this thing through. And they're really struggling because within the community, there's a real strong tension around this. And if I really wanted to create division in the house, I would just invite you to sort of stand up now and move depending upon stand or kneel. Wouldn't that be fun? But that's how we think. That's how we're, that's sort of our basic operating system. Our basic operating system is pretty much like my CD player. It's digital. It's all based on ones and zeros. Yes or no, on or off, good, bad. This is how we operate. And what I want to invite us to pay attention to is using this pretty benign example to us because we don't have to sweat where our meat comes from mostly. Don't have to worry that it got sacrificed to an idol or not. We have other very alive issues that drive, that drive our conversation. And as the body of Christ, as people of God who are supposed to have and are growing in having the mind of Christ, this either-or thinking isn't going to serve. This either-or thinking is actually not what Jesus modeled. And when we talk about the teachings of Jesus, and by extension how Paul now applies what I'm going to refer to as third-way thinking, we see that it comes out of a place of profound love, not just, not just general good feeling, but really love of the other, love of the needs and concern for the conscience of the other person. It's this love, and that it takes time, and that it has to be anchored in deep prayer. Love plus time leading into deep prayer leads to a totally different way of solving what seems like unsolvable problems. And if you're wondering what my punchline is, it's this. The church of Jesus Christ should be the think tank for this kind of behavior. We should be the ones who model this to the rest of the world. Whenever there's a question of stand or kneel, people should be like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Let's ask the church. That's what should be happening. I'm telling you right now, that's what should be happening. And if it doesn't happen, 
then we, I'm, tra- I'm, I'm calling on us to take this text, to take God's Word, and to bring it inside ourselves and say, we want to learn how to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people because that's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Let me give you one of many examples of Jesus practicing third-way thinking. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they bring the Herodians. That means that the people who are hardcore religious legalists bring the people who have totally collaborated with and bought into what the Roman government is up to. They come together. And they are setting Jesus up for a stand or kneel kind of conversation, knowing that if he says one, then he's going to get sideways with people on the other side. They come up to here to set him up. That's the way binary thinking often works. When people want to push binary thinking on you, inevitably they are looking to do one thing, and that is divide. Is that what the Church of Jesus Christ is about? Can I get a no? There we go. You can say amen sometimes. Sometimes you've got to say no. No, that's not what the Church of Jesus Christ is about. Okay. So they come to Jesus and they say, they pull out a coin, and they say, hey, well, actually, they don't pull out a coin. They ask the question, yes or no, Jesus? Yes or no? They're like real binary about this. Yes or no, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we give our harder money to a corrupt system, an occupying nation? Should we give it? And Jesus, Matthew says, knowing what's going on in their hearts, sees right to it. He gets right to the bottom of it. And you remember what he says? It's awesome. He says, pull out a coin. The fact that they have one on them tells you something. They're not even supposed to be tu- the Pharisees aren't even supposed to be touching this filthy stuff. But they got one. Imagine that. He said, and he pulls it out, and he pulls it out, and he says, whose picture's on it? Caesar's. And then he says, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. If that's got Caesar's picture on it, give it to him. But give to God what bears the image of God. And friends, what bears the image of God? You do. You do. And so in this amazing moment, he practices third-way thinking. When everybody else wants to say either or, he says neither there's something richer, and if you want to think about it as a higher way of thinking or a deeper way of thinking, I don't care which, but, you, but one way or the other, he's really moving people into what? To focus on what really matters. And that's what Paul's going to do here. Eat, eat idle, dedicated meat or not, focus on what really matters, okay? That's where Paul's going. This kind of third-way thinking that, Paul, that Jesus gives to us, and you, and you pick it up, right? That is, God, Jesus wants us to understand that it's the human beings that matter, while the Pharisees are just talking about the rules. He's talking about who, who are the people who are living in these rules, and, and where do they live, and what's their image, and, and how, whether they, that they matter. And Paul's pretty much doing the same thing. He's like, it's not about the meat. It's about your neighbor, It's not about the meat. It's about your brother or sister in the church who may have some really, some major discomfort because every time they come to a meal that y'all, because sharing the common meal is super important. That's, that was the fellowshipping life of the church. I mean, they were meeting all the time and sharing meals. And there were some people who were showing up and they were like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that anymore. I can't live that life anymore. A life in which we, we, you know, meat was dedicated to idols. I, every time I see that meat, it just really gets me. Now, Paul 
refers to them, in one sense, as the weaker. They're the weaker brother. They have this anxiety or this concern, this issue that keeps them from being able to feel good around that. And yet, some other people are like, but we're free, and it's just meat, and God, God has all of it, so what are we going to do about it? You following? You know you've had this experience, haven't you? You know what it's like to come to a party and maybe you, being the quote-unquote stronger person, say, hey, um, uh, I brought a bottle of wine. And uh, is it okay if I go and open this? And that's when you find out that everybody at this party, they're all in recovery. Oops. So, I mean, you, you, you've probably grown up in this, right? You've grown up in churches, maybe, where playing cards. I mean, we, we laugh about these things. They seem quaint to us now. I was just at a retreat up at Mount Hermon with the other pastors, and the speaker uh, was talking about when he, uh, when he, the first time he became, when he first became a pastor, he had to sign a document saying that he would not dance or play cards. That's, that, that was the scruple of the time, because there had been people who connected cards to their either their gambling addiction or to the gambling addiction of their, of their father or their mother. They, that was connected to a really bad life, a, a, the old way, and they, didn't, and they just couldn't deal with that anymore. And then they wanted to kind of bring that around and say, we're going to be a community of people who, is, who protects themselves from the temptation because by not dancing and not by playing cards. Okay? So it wasn't that long ago when the church had these kinds of scruples. And what Paul wants to say is, in essence, the, his third way of thinking is, you who have no concern about this, who know it's just meat, it doesn't matter, those gods aren't real, there's only one true God, those of you who know that that's okay, yes, you absolutely live in freedom. You can do whatever you want, except love calls you to be concerned about the quote-unquote weaker brother or sister. And that weaker brother or sister may be in the church, somebody who has a scruple inside the church, and you're going to need to make, you're going to need to bound yourself. You're going to need to limit your freedom. You're going to need to live in less in order to care for and show love to them. You follow? And then here in the example I used, Paul even says, if you go to a friend's house and they're not a Christian, you've got to be concerned about their conscience too. So if they just serve food, eat it. No big deal. If they make a big deal about how this one was dedicated to this other god or goddess, then pass on that one. Eat everything else, just pass on that one. This isn't about being right. This isn't about being, um, living into your freedom, being able to do whatever you want or whatever you're allowed to do. This isn't about being right or, or, or any of those things. That's what the Pharisees were into. They wanted to be right. And they had to be right. They had to make Jesus wrong. And what Jesus does is he upends all that and says, hey, there's, there's this new, there's a new way of holding this. There's a deeper way, a third way of thinking about this. Third way of thinking is pretty profound. 
Maybe, maybe you remember at the end of apartheid in South Africa, there was a really significant dilemma that the nation faced. How are we going to deal with all the atrocities committed under apartheid? If we say we're going to pursue justice against all the white South Africans, all the police officers and all the military and all the government leaders who perpetuated this, if we are going to seek justice, that is going to turn into retributive justice. Everybody's going to want retribution, and that is going to turn into civil war. But if we don't seek justice, if we just say blanket amnesty... If we just say, okay, that's in the past and forget about it, then all of us feel like victims and and we feel like nothing is ever going to change and that the need for justice is going to be completely lost. Do you know, those of you who remember, you remember what the third way was, right? And do you remember who brought the third way? The third way were, were, were the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's. And what the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions did was invite people to come and confess. If you were a white South African police officer, you could come and you could admit completely, openly to what you participated in. And the black South Africans would hear it and it would be, this testimony would be held, an open record, everybody would know, and forgiveness would be offered. That was the commitment. Anybody who wished to come could make a, make a clean. And who brought that? The church. It was the church that had this vision for a third way, where justice and mercy, truth and love show up together. So, I know I'm in a, I am in a room right now with people who have guns and believe and stand in the freedom and are grateful to be in a country in which they can have and possess guns. I live, I'm in a room full of people who believe, if I may be so bold, to believe in guns. I am also in a room with people who have been directly impacted by gun violence. And not just vaguely or recent, not just vaguely once upon a time in the distance, this week. And I, this came alive for me in, in our staff meeting as, as Ryan alluded to it. We had our staff meeting and we were basically talking about church stuff. And then one staff member said, you just need to know that so-and-so So-and-so's daughter was there in Las Vegas at the concert that night. And the only reason she's alive is because she was out of the sight line of the window. And then another staff member started to talk about her experience being in Isla Vista a few years ago at the mass shootings near UC Santa Barbara. You following me now? That this isn't abstract. We've had custodial staff who've been shot, 
repeatedly. We have had custodial staff who have to leave their community and go to a completely different community in order to play basketball with their son because of the reality of gun violence in their community. This is not abstract for us, like meat sacrificed to idols. It's right at the heart of who we are. And this pastor I was telling you about who remembered what it was like to sign a piece of paper promising never to dance or play cards, he also has consulted at churches uh, in certain parts of the country in which he knew, the pastor said to him, I know that 70% of the men in this room on a Sunday morning are carrying a weapon. The church of Jesus Christ believes in guns. And I'm, here, I'm not here to say that that's wrong. I'm here to say, we need a third way. We're going to have to figure out, the church of Jesus Christ is going to have to figure out how to stand in a culture that has had its imaginations profoundly formed by violence. We're going to have to find a third way to model freedom and bounding ourselves according to conscience. We're going to have to find a third way that is going to show up in the form of love for the weaker person who, by the way, we're always the weaker person about something. All of us have got some weak spot that others don't have a problem with it. It's a no big deal, but for us, it's a really big deal. You follow? We're all weak in something. That's why we all need to recognize that my conscience as a, as a Christian is now bounded by another person's pain, another person's hurt, another person's scruple, where there, where there is, right? Well, the thing I notice about third-way work and thinking is that it always takes time. It always takes a lot of time to work it out. The time, the, you know, love invested as time to talk to other people, to unpack this, to, to explore it, and to, and to really hear their story and understand fully what's going on for them. It takes a, a willingness to invest time in understanding another person's position and really hearing that story well before a third way can emerge. That is, by definition, I think, one of the challenges around third way thinking because in a reactionary world, it's either this or that. When bad things happen, we immediately want to say, okay, the the solution is more laws and fewer guns. Or the solution is fewer laws and more guns. That's either or thinking, right? And it takes time, a loving investment of time in hearing the story of another before we can move past that. And that's, that's what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa modeled. That's what we are called to model. It took a year. It took the NFL a year to get to the place where they finally, finally teams gathering in locker rooms with, the, with their owners and their coaches said, we can't keep doing this stand or kneel thing. And so what did they start to do? Some teams said, 
in recognition of the conscience of our, of our players, some of us will just stay, we'll all stay in the locker room during the national anthem. And others, when that became problematic, they all would stand together, arms locked together. Does that solve the problem? If you say no, then you're right. If you say yes, then you're right. Because you have to get, you have to start uh, attending now, don't you, to what the question is, what's the problem? If the problem is getting clear about what you should do when the flag is, and the national anthem is played, you're right, it doesn't solve that problem at all. But if the problem is, how do we stand in unity and love with one another when we have had wildly different stories living in the same country, it begins to solve that problem, doesn't it? You following? A little bit? Love plus time. That's what third-way thinking requires. And you know what love plus time equals? It equals prayer. Love plus time equals prayer. Did you ever think about it that way before? After service, every week, I lead a thing called Space for God. And I I started leading it because I've had the benefit of having people lead me in conversations in prayer, in times of what we call contemplation. Some people call it meditation. Some people call it um, just a, a good, quiet sit, being alone with God. And what I've been amazed by is that as I've begun to practice this, and the, and the few people who, who meet me after church on Sundays to do this, every time, I, I don't, this is me talking at you, Right? I'm giving you all kind of things to think about. I'm giving you all kind of words here. But man, what we really need as the Church of Jesus Christ is to stop the words and just to be with the story, to be with each other and to sit in silence and to say, okay, we've heard from your word, Lord God, and we're thankful. We've heard from one another and we're honoring the stories. Now, We need to literally hear from you. What is it you want to say to us? And my favorite definition of contemplation is uh, taking a long, loving look at the real. Taking a long, loving look at the real. Friends, it is time for the Church of Jesus Christ to take a long, loving look at what's really happening in our country. It's time for us to take a long, loving look at the way this either-or, stand-or-kneel, more guns, less laws, less laws, more guns mentality, where this is taking us as a people. It's time for us to take a long, loving look at the real. And out of that place, to grow in Christ. It's important for you to remember, I think, that Paul was a perfectionist. He was all about control. I really relate to that. He was all about being perfect. He was a a former Pharisee. And so when we read these these words in in 1 Corinthians, we think to ourselves, wow, that's that's really smart. That's a really good, wise, 
balanced approach that he's taking. And I just think to myself, man, it takes a lot of work to get there. It takes a lot of love. It takes time. It takes deep prayer to be formed as a person who can practice that kind of wisdom. To cut to really get to the heart of what really matters. To get to the heart of what really matters. What really matters for our country now? What really matters for the gospel of Jesus Christ to move forward in a culture divided by race, by economics, by violence? What's it really going to take? It's going to take third-way thinking. And that isn't us getting smarter. It's us going deeper. Deeper in love. Deeper in our investment of time. And hearing each other's stories and hearing God's word. To contemplate, to take this stuff in. And then out of that place to say, what's the Holy Spirit saying to us? I'm so proud of this church because as we began to hear and understand the real issues around human trafficking, how human trafficking was right in our midst, in our communities, how human trafficking was an epidemic, how human traffic, how our region is, is one of the hubs of human trafficking. Folks in our church heard that, began to hear the stories of young women who had been trafficked, and out of that, a profound ministry called Arm of Care came about. And, and out of that, churches around the country now focus on, at least one Sunday a year, focus on human trafficking. And we as a church said, that is unacceptable. We as the people of God said, that is not where the kingdom is. And we've responded to that. And so, this morning, in my Space for God time, I want to invite anybody who wants to just have a sit with me. And to sit in silence and think about this issue of gun violence in our country. Not to show up and make your point. Not to be right about it. Not to, to say, this is what we ought to do. But rather say, God, we want to have our hearts open to what you would have. How would you have your church respond? What are you calling up out of us as an expression of love for the weak or the vulnerable the ones who are hurting. So I invite you to that. If you, if you feel God's really tugging on you around this issue, then I invite you to come. As we continue to grow in maturity, which I believe is the beautiful call and invitation that God gives to us as believers, to grow more and more in the mind of Christ, as we do that, we really are able to be salt and light in the world. To stand in, in wonderful contrast to this great nation of ours and say, we love this country so much, we're going to play different. We love everybody in this country so much, we're not going to get caught up in the kneel versus stand debates anymore. We're going to let, we love this country so much, we're not going to get caught up in blue versus red. We're going to be people who, with the mind of Christ, begin to see to what really matters. And as we see that, move toward that and see this, the kingdom of God advance.
through our love. Would you like to see the kingdom of God advance? Then please pray with me. So loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts lead us into greater love for one another and for our community. Jesus, lead us in your ways. Move us in love toward people who have suffered so profoundly under, as a result of gun violence. Enable us, Lord, to, to think with greater love about our freedoms, our rights, our privileges, and what it means to have those bounded, to, to self-limit for the sake of loving another. Help us to see how that's what it means to grow in Christ, to be more and more free, to be greater and greater servants to others. Jesus, you were the most powerful person. You are the most powerful force in the universe. And you never exercised that power through violence. Not once. Instead, you led, you went into that third way. Rather than resisting violence or fighting, resisting it and fighting it or, or running away from it, Lord, Jesus, you absorbed it. You took it into yourself and made a way for us to live free of it. Now, Lord, we pray that you would cause this church to live in that freedom. Amen.